that's nice. <laughs> I feel a little awkward. I, I feel like we're trying to do gracefully the whole mask, phone, microphone, come in, change glasses thing and say hello very pleasantly. So forgive me while I'm still working that out. <laughs> anyway, welcome this morning to yet another beautiful day that God's provided. And it is uh, my honour to be able to read to you God's word this morning. The reading does come from First uh, Peter chapter 5, reading from verses 1 to 5. Verse 1. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Amen. Morning all. We're continuing our walk through and this morning is going to be a bit of a, a race through the scriptures when it comes to looking at leadership in the life of our church with a view to looking out amongst ourselves and prayerfully considering those who may uh, be approached and that they would be willing to serve as elders, men and women on our pastoral team as well as appointing uh, uh, up to seven members of our church to serve on the board. Again, uh, male and female are open to that possibility. This morning I wanted to walk you through the scriptures uh, to show you some of the biblical principles of leadership and the problem I have and have had all week is that there is far too much material for me to condense it down adequately and so I have a dissatisfying feeling that this is going to be more of a lecture than a message and so let me give you the point of it before we start, and then I want to pray. Um, as we consider what it means to be a leader in our church, and we're going to be looking at some Old Testament stories, and then we'll get to the 1 Peter passage, and you'll see how they just dovetail together very nicely. <clears throat> uh, that God's principles of leadership have not changed all the way through history. Um, and the Bible contains both positive and negative examples, what to look for and what to avoid in appointing people to positions of official leadership. Um, I want to do a, a little bit of a review, but the point of all of this is, this is not just for what people are supposed to be like, it's what we are supposed to be like. This is our goal as followers of the Lord Jesus, that we are to be working towards this maturity, spiritual maturity in knowing Him. So this is applicable for all of us. Um, Though not all of us have the gifts or the desire or the calling by God to be in leadership. But nonetheless, we all have been called by God and God's desire for us is to grow to become increasingly like the Lord Jesus. So having said that by way of a waffly inter uh, intro, let me pray and then put your seatbelts on 
and we are going to do some low flying. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. And this morning, Lord, we ask for your assistance as we consider various passages of Scripture, as we look for the principles that come out of these passages, and then, Lord, its application to us as a church, but to us personally as well. I pray that you might have your will and your way in our church and in our lives. We ask and pray in the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Elders in the Church, part two. I was going to do this again next week, but I'm over it. I mean, I feel I should do something else. I don't think I have the energy to be able to come back and talk to you again about leadership for a third week. I feel like I'm going to exhaust most of the ammunition that I have for you this morning. Uh, I haven't, but I think you need some time just to let it settle, and I'm going to do something different next week, just a one-off talk and uh, something different. I'll certainly be motivated by that. Last week we spoke about this. Just a very quick review. Turn this on. Tis on. Review. Last week we spoke about that we are to look out amongst ourselves for people, men and women, who are above reproach, that they're godly in their, their lifestyle. They have a consistent, mature spirituality. They're loyal in their marriages, if they're married, <clears throat> that they have... Self-control, they have good moral character, temperate, prudent, respectable, that they're already involved in ministry in some way, some way, hospitality, and they have the ability to be able to teach God's word. And that'll come out again this morning, that all the leaders um, at the board, pastoral team, uh, pastors, are people who are under the authority of God's word. It's God who is leading the church, and they are the under-shepherds. Look for people whose home life is consistent, that they manage their home well, things are in order, the kids are respectful and well-behaved. It doesn't mean that the kids have to be followers or believers. The issue is testing the, what the parent has been doing. And if the kids are respectful, but nonetheless not following Jesus, that is not a disqualification. But if the parent has not been a good parent, has not... Um, had a good influence or attempted to have a good influence in the life of those kids, then that is a disqualification. Look for somebody with spiritual maturity, not a recent convert, there was a list of negatives, as well as somebody who has a good reputation with others. We finished with very practical things of, can they teach, do they want to do it, and do they have time? Practical suggestions. The time bit is not in the scriptures, but it's a necessary requirement. You could be qualified and have the desire, but you just don't have the time. Well, don't commit yourself yet to it until your life circumstances change or you change them. So that's by way of review. In the book of Acts 15, which we'll get to eventually, uh, they had a, a conference and they had an issue and they met together and they discussed it and they went through several processes, which if I get time, I'll get to. But in verse 28 of that chapter, it has this wonderful statement in a letter that they sent to the church to solve, to address the issue uh, in the early church. And it's, the letter says, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. It's a wonderful balance about leadership. Of, it's not, it seemed good to us. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. That people in leadership, at whatever level of leadership it is, are people who are still under the authority and direction of God's Holy Spirit. That will come out this morning, I think, pretty clearly for us. That leaders are not to rely on their own ability or thinking, but to trust in the Lord. 
that he's the one who will direct their paths and steps and he'll open doors and provide whatever is needed. Um, so the appointment of, I'll just say elders or overseers, trying to encapsulate all of these positions. The appointment of elders or overseers to govern God's people goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. And that's the question. What does God desire for these people, of his people, for them? Back in the book of Exodus, chapter 18, there is a principle, which I don't have time this morning to go through all of the details. I'm going to tell you the story very quickly. And it's called the Jethro Principle. Moses has come out of Egypt. There is something like around about 2 million people who are following him, 600,000 men, not counting women, children and others who are associated with him. And each day, um, Moses has time alone with God. There is the tabernacle, but there is also... There's going to be a tabernacle. And there is also a private tent where Moses goes to. It's called the Tent of Meeting. And that's where God comes down and meets with Moses face to face. Um, And in this story, Jethro comes to visit his son-in-law, Moses. And Moses spends all day with a whole line of people lined up to see him. And they've got a dispute, they've got an issue, they've got a question, and Moses has to address it. He spends all day doing it. And the people are waiting hours and hours, like people lined up for a COVID vaccination, you know, you line up for hours. And then sometimes you get to the end and they say, sorry, come back tomorrow. Well, that's what was happening with Moses. Some of the people didn't get to him. Jethro says, you're exhausted and what you're doing is not sensible, it's not good. I've got an idea for you. And in Exodus 18, he outlines the idea for Moses. And he says to him, um, verse 19 and 20, The work is too too much for you, it's too heavy to handle alone. Listen now and I'll give you uh, some advice. I think I have this on screen. Uh, You must uh, be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them, I think that's the next bit, Teach, uh, teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. That's what he says to Moses. You've got to do three things. Pray for the people. Teach them God's words and instructions as well as set them an example. Sound familiar? Same three criteria will turn up in the New Testament. There it is in Exodus 18. Uh, and this is what you are to do, he says, but select capable men from among you, um, from all the people, men who fear God, one, who are trustworthy men, two, who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as, and note the word, officials, over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And he goes on to say, have them serve as judges, Uh, they can bring the cases to the people, and they can bring the really difficult cases to you, and you can train and equip and help prepare them as well. Uh, They will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God's own command, you'll be able to stand the strain and all of these people will go home satisfied. Moses listened to his father-in-law, put it into action and selected out those appropriate leaders. A couple of principles, isn't there? Moses still had the, the responsibilities of not neglecting the word of God or prayer, just like in Acts 6. It's not good for us to devote ourselves to waiting on tables. What we want to do is devote ourselves to the prayer and the ministry of the word. Of the word excuse me. Exactly the same for what Moses is doing there. And then delegate the responsibilities that you have here, share that with some other people. Not just anybody. Select the people who fear God, are trustworthy, and who are not in it for the prestige or the money. They're not open to bribes and 
corrupt ways. Um, and appoint them. Some appoint over thousands, some appoint over hundreds, some appoint over fifties, some appoint over tens, just like a connect group leader. So various abilities at different stages of delegation and so on. These uh, principles come out very solidly. Moses does it and it's a great success and so on. This goes really well for a while. As the story progresses, when you get to Numbers 11, there's a problem. In fact, there are two or three problems in Numbers 11. In Numbers 11, it's where the people whinge and complain and say, we're sick of the manna and we want the onions and the leeks and the garlics and the stuff we had in Egypt and can we have some meat? You know the story, the quail. But in the midst of that, in Numbers uh, 11, if I look it up, Numbers 11 and about verse 10, in the midst of the people whinging and complaining, particularly against God but also to Moses and blaming him, holding him accountable, Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance of their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry and Moses was troubled. Moses is going, uh-oh, God's going to do something. And then Moses has a little wind session and he basically complains to God and says, why did you give me this job of looking after these people? You know, they are a burden. Um, I didn't conceive them, they're not my people, they're your people, I want to be released from this. In verse 15 he says, if this is how you're going to treat me, then please go ahead and kill me. If you love me, <laughs> kill me. If I have found favour in your eyes, don't let me go to my own ruin. He's had enough, he's at the end of his tether. And sometimes that's what happens. If you've been in leadership, you know, you get to that point. You get to the end of your wits and you, 12,000 pastors a year give up. That's a lot, isn't it? Because they get to the end of their tether. They take their eyes off the goal and all different circumstances, situations and so on. God has a response, a solution. As you go through the scriptures, this is the process. Let's identify the problem or the issue. Prayerfully consider what the solution is and then implement the decision by clarifying the responsibilities, delegating to people who have uh, shared results and move on from there. That's basically what God says to him. In verse 16, I think I have this on screen for you. This is God's solution to Moses' whinging and Moses wanting to quit. The Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who were known to you as leaders and officials. Remember, that's what they called them back in Exodus 18? Officials. The difference between leaders and officials, commentators suggest, is that the leaders were those who had spiritual maturity. They were a bit older. They had some years under their belt. The officials were probably younger guys, younger people, who had the ability or the potential and they were to be trained up, which is not a bad strategy. So pick 70 of those elders, they were already identified, bring 70 of those elders among the people, make them come and note this, to the tent of meeting where God meets with Moses and have them note the position and stand there come back to that stand there with you i'll come down and speak with you there they'll listen and i'll take some of the holy spirit some of the power of the spirit that is on you and i'll put it on them god will give them part of the well, portion of the spirit they will share this burden of the people with you so that you will not have to carry it all alone leaders and officials some sort of distinction 70 elders not uh Everybody, not every leader, just this 70, which becomes a significant number. 
and have them come and stand. Their posture is standing. And then they are to listen and they'll have a spiritual experience and the end result of that will be they will be sharing the load with you. So, the 70 were to assemble at the tent of meeting. Standing before God is acknowledging that God is the one who is in control, that God is the leader, and it portrays a posture of serving, to share the burden of leading the people as well as the capacity to do so. I was going to do it later, but there's a beautiful psalm, Psalm 123, standing, listening. This posture is significant. Psalm 123 says, I will lift up my eyes to you who sit enthroned in heaven. As the eyes of the slaves look to the hand of their master... And as the eyes of the female slave look to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he show mercy upon us. Have mercy on us, Lord, and so on. I love that analogy. As the eyes of the servant look to the hand of the master. So yeah, the master's got some guests, and all the servant is doing is watching the hand of the master, and the master will give a hand signal. You'll often see Judy or some of our worship leaders do that as well. They have hand signals. Did you know that? And they'll put their hand behind their back and they'll say they're going to be, you know, slow down or repeat it or do it again. They just do it with a very simple hand signal. So now you're going to look every time now to see if you can find it. As the eyes of the servant look to the hand of the master, or the eyes of the female slave look to the hand of her mistress, it's like, what's the hand movement? It's like, come, stand still, more, whatever the signal is. And the psalmist is saying, just like they do that, so that's our position. We're standing before God and our eyes are on him. We're listening to him. What does he want us to do? That's always to be our position. Back in that story of, uh, and, and I don't want to chase too many rabbits this morning, back in that story in Numbers 11, when the, the 70 elders come out, and God does come down and he does take some of the spirit that's on Moses and they get anointed with the power of the spirit and the indication of that is they begin to prophesy. But 70 elders didn't come, only 68 came. There were two elders, Eldad and Medad, with their names. They're named in Numbers 11. They stayed in their tent in the camp. Why didn't they come out? I don't know. But just as they received the Spirit, so they still received the Spirit. They were part of the 70. And Joshua heard about it. And he came concerned for Moses' reputation. And, you know, these guys are going to... They're going to get attention now and not you. And Moses says, are you concerned, you know, about me and... What people are going to think of me? I wish all of God's people received the Holy Spirit so that they could have this experience. Moses was, how did I say this? Joshua was saying, we have, a pro we have a problem and Moses saw the situation as an opportunity to declare his hope that all of God's people would eventually work with the Spirit. Moses doesn't respond negatively to the unexpected behaviour of the elders, those two but he celebrates the direction that God is moving in. This instant incident reveals God's heart for what he wants in his elders, in his overseers, in his leaders. And there are four things that come out of this story. Let me try and pull these out for you. Number one, character. They are to be people of godly maturity and some sort of executive ability. They are the 70 elders or officials who were to help Moses govern now some of these responsibility. They would serve the people by submitting to God's rule. 
God wanted them, the overseers, to know him personally and deeply so that their source of leadership is going to be a reflection of God's heart and God's will. That's what we're looking for. We aren't told the background, but Exodus 18 is probably a likely indication. People who feared God, they were trustworthy and they weren't open to bribes or corruption. They were men who would be good judges and so on, men and women. Number two, their posture, which I've already drawn attention to. The scripture says, and God emphasises, they were to come to stand and to listen. Their heart attitude was to be one of submission to God and listening to God. And in fact, in some boards, in some churches, they have the practice where the board will stand and they will read the scriptures and they'll be silent, they will listen and then they'll pray and share. They do it deliberately, apparently, as a reminder, not just of this truth, but as a a physical demonstration, reminder, they're not in charge, God is. We're meeting together under his rule and under his authority. It's a spiritual appointment. We have a saying which goes something like, don't just stand there, do something, don't we? God has the reverse saying. Don't just do something, stand there. Listen. Approach me. Seek my will and my face. Be attentive to hearing from him and be submissive and ready to serve, just like in Psalm 123. And they're doing it together. They're a team, in which case they can also hold one another account. They've been invited by God to come into his presence to experience very deep fellowship with him. God is clearly the leader. And for us, New Testament church, Jesus is the chief shepherd. He's the leader. All other leaders are under him. We follow him. True for all of us. The third characteristic that comes out of this is the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. They are to be a spirit-filled people. He is the source of their wisdom and their discernment. And God confirms that they have received the Spirit by their ability to prophesy. What that means for us as a church, as well as the elders, we must intentionally avoid the tendency and the temptation to rely only on human wisdom, on the flesh, and not on the Spirit. And the wonderful thing is that the Spirit still works even in elders who are disobedient. The two who stayed in the camp, they didn't do exactly what God had instructed them to do, but God still used them. God still anointed them with the Spirit. Nevertheless, elders, overseers, our pastoral team and the board especially, are to set an example by serving in obedience to God's word and submission to his will. They're the people to look for. Finally, humble service. They will share the burden with you. Look for people who are prepared to put themselves out, to inconvenience themselves in order to address the needs of God's people. They should help solve difficulties and disputes and so on, and it will require patience and wisdom and discernment. So to push all four of those together, that one didn't turn out too well. Look for those with proven spiritual maturity, who stand united with other leaders to hear from God, that they have the power of the Holy Spirit upon them, they've been filled and empowered by God's Spirit, and they share the burden of leadership together. This leadership pattern remained in Israel for about one and a half millennia, 1,500 years, all through the Old Testament. Even when they had kings, this was still the leadership pattern. 
You had a separation of responsibilities and duties. You had the high priest who was over the, the temple and the sacrifices and the feasts. You had the kings who were over the military um, and over the economy. And in between those, you had the prophets who, approached, who spoke God's word into both camps. This separation of duties was all the way through the Old Testament, right up until about two centuries before Jesus came. Bible scholars trace it to about that date, during the time of the Maccabees, when the Jewish people, having returned from exile, and now under Roman rule, they kept the structure. They still had a group of 70, but now there was no king. There were no prophets. There was just the high priest. And the high priest assumed all of those responsibilities, and he took on controlling their military. He took on controlling the economy. He took on controlling the spiritual dimensions of it all. And the 70 became known as the Sanhedrin, which you would have heard of. And there was not just... There was an outward form which is similar to what God had instituted, but there was a dramatic change in their function and purpose, what they intended to do. And in fact, in John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 1, when a guy by the name of Nicodemus comes to see Jesus, it says of him that he was a Pharisee who was a member of the ruling council. The 70 elders who were to provide spiritual leadership to the people of Israel all through the Old Testament have now become the ruling council. They changed from being uh, people who um, had godly character, spiritual maturity. It changed to being people who had wealth, who had education, who had status in the community. You had to own land or property in order to be on the Sanhedrin. And so that changed, and their aim was to preserve their own power and their own traditions. They became self-serving, not serving the people. And notice, the Sanhedrin means literally to sit together, not stand before God, but to sit together. And we'll figure it out by our democracy. We will vote together. And the high priest had a whole lot of power. So they selected people by their status, not by their spiritual maturity. They had a, a ruling, controlling focus, not a serving posture. They were all about, they were in charge. And you can see that in their reactions and responses to Jesus and in the early church, in Acts chapter 4 particularly, they were manipulating and controlling. They loved money instead of being empowered by the spirit. They were driven more by finances and resources. And instead of being... Uh, humble servants, they were very proud and arrogant and self-focused. They aimed at controlling, not serving, just like modern-day politicians. Granted themselves annual income rises, plus benefits, just like our politicians. That's what had happened to the leadership structure that God had put in place, that had been distorted by human sin. And then we don't have time this morning to go through this, but if you go through Acts 4, you'll see the Sanhedrin. If you go through Acts 19, you'll see the Ephesian Council. And when you look at the same thing, you'll have exactly the same four criteria mentioned of what to avoid, the negatives. That they were not spirit-led, they were status-driven. They weren't uh, humble things, they were servants, they were proud. They weren't driven by the Spirit, they were driven by finances. 
It's amazing. In those two chapters, you have the negative of God outlining for us what to avoid in appointing leaders. And then it comes back around again to Acts 15, which is a repeat of Exodus 18. The same principles come out, the same four things to look for. And I don't really have time to go into all the details of that, but if you look at verse 6 of uh, Acts 15, you'll see that they had this small group, call it a council. It was the pastors and elders who met outside of the big assembly. They met and deliberated, sought God's direction, then they spoke to the people. They shared the scriptures, they listened to what God was saying, they listened to each other, they had prayed, and they came to a conclusion together. Where there was this great discussion, the issue was about uh, Gentile people had to be circumcised in order to be saved, that was the issue, which would have split the church and undermined the gospel. Acts 15 is a very significant and important chapter. And these leadership principles come out of there as well. It's repeated in Acts 6, and I don't think I put it up, but it's also in Nehemiah. Read Nehemiah chapters 2, 3, 4 and 5, and you get exactly the same principles. Godly leadership, responding to what God is saying, and also responding together against opposition and staying focused on the job. There's a consistency to the pattern has a flexibility to it and a variety to it that each situation demanded led to. So what does all this mean for us? Well, in 1 Peter 5, these principles are there again. Peter says, To the elders among you, this is Peter, the apostle, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. I wanted to point out firstly, this is Peter, the apostle. The Lord Jesus came and he selected 12 people to be his apostles. He delegated um, some of his uh, purposes and desires to them. He trained them that they would go ahead of him to preach and to teach and to heal um, and to raise up converts, build the kingdom of God. Appointed by the chief shepherd, they were under-shepherds. And in fact, all that apostolic authority, there are no apostles these days, because the criteria to be an apostle was you had to know Jesus personally, you had to walk with him for three years, and you had to have seen him after he rose from the dead. The apostle Paul has both those qualifications, so he is included. That apostolic authority is now encased for us in the New Testament. So just as the early church was submitting to the apostles, so now we submit to the teaching of the New Testament. Make sense? Our leaders come under the authority of God's word. And Peter now is calling himself, though an apostle, one of the last of them, now calling himself a fellow elder. We have a similar responsibility together. And he outlines it. Be shepherds of God's flock. It's God's flock, not your flock. They belong to him. They are his people. Bear that responsibility in mind. And you are to shepherd them, lead them, feed them, shear them, (laughs) If they're disobedient, you know the story, don't you? What they do with the sheep goes astray all the time. Then they would discipline the sheep. There is a place for discipline. But through it all, the shepherd is to know the sheep and the sheep is to know the shepherds. So too, you are to know your pastoral team, the pastors and the elders. And you, the members of the church, will be appointing the board. They're not shepherds, they're overseers. They have a different role and function. The pastors and elders will be the shepherds. 
and they are the ones who will be watching over you to examine closely with a view to assisting, helping you become all that Jesus wants you to become. They are to do it willingly, eagerly, and they are to do it by being an example, just like in Exodus 18 and Numbers 11. They are not to do it pursuing dishonest gain, nor lording it over those entrusted to them. See how the principles keep coming back around and around? And when the chief shepherd appears, Jesus, then you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. I don't think, I'm open to correction on this, but I don't think, Pastor David, that means you and I are going to be given, and Coralie, and that you're going to be given a crown of glory. I think it's rather we will be crowned with glory that will never fade away and then notice this in the same way you who are younger submit yourselves to the elders all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud gives grace to the humble there it is again set an example be humble be under God's rule and authority shepherd according to his will they're his people these are the, pro the purposes and processes that God has in place. This is what he desires for leaders in his church. What does God desire of his people? To be mature, to have a posture of standing in his presence, submitting to him, filled with his spirit and who are humble at heart. What to avoid? Status seekers, those who want rules and control, those who are captivated by and driven by money. It's never a money issue for the church, never. Pete's having a coronary right now, but that's okay. That's his responsibility. That's his gifting. Somebody's got to keep their eyes on the funds and we have to be sensible stewards. Amen. That's not the first call. What is God's will? What does God want us to do? Then the question becomes, well, how can we afford it? Let's agree on what God wants, not making the decision. We can't afford that. We're not doing it. Wrong way around. Driven by God's will, not by finances. The Sanhedrin was driven by that, not the church leaders. And avoid people who are full of themselves, in it for themselves, who don't care about others. That'll do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these principles. For many of us, Lord, we know them, we've heard them. The challenge, Father, is for us to become like that become the people that you desire, to be people who are spiritually mature, to be people who are um, like your son, the Lord Jesus, people who are filled with your spirit, people of good character with some abilities to lead, people who are humble, malleable in your hands. Heavenly Father, may you help us to stand in your presence and to hear your word and to obey your will in all aspects of our life, we pray. And everybody said? Let's stand and put masks.